You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Russell takes the snap, steps up in the pocket, looks, has time. Now he's going to throw. Tyler Lockett looks for the ball. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks! Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. The handoff inside to Carson, starts up the middle, now bounces it across the line. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks! Powered by Seahawks.com. And the Seahawks are getting ready for a game Sunday against the Arizona Cardinals as they close out the 2019 regular season with two conference opponents and a chance to claim the number one overall seed. We are going to talk about that and what the matchup looks like against the Cardinals today. And by we, I mean... Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for your Seattle Seahawks, and John Boyle from Seahawks.com. I was hoping you meant the royal we that you were the just referring to, to yourself. To all, oh, yes. Yeah, when, when you are just talking about yourself. That seems you a little we. pretentious, doesn't it? It does, but you know. I just like making big Lebowski references. <laughs> yes. We, well, the, you know, the, the royal we. The royal we. And we can laugh and we can joke this week because the Seahawks pulled off another win in Carolina. And thanks to an incredible finish by the Atlanta Falcons, the Seahawks right now have the number one seed. And, John, that was one of my most. When people ask me to reflect on my memories and my time with the Seahawks, I think that Sunday night delay on the tarmac, and because the plane was late, I think that that's going to be one of my most fun memories. Yeah, for sure. It's funny. A lot of times people ask, like, after a win, like, oh, how's the flight? Was it all crazy? And you're kind of like, eh, it's usually about the same. Guys are tired, you know. Coaches are working. Players are watching film or sleeping. It's not that different, but this was different. We were all sitting there waiting to get out of there, and everyone's watching the games on their phones and laptops, and all of a sudden it's, you know, the – the 49ers are in trouble, and the Falcons make this comeback, and it's it was just a really exciting moment on the plane. And then after we took off, Pete Carroll picks up the intercom and makes the announcement to the plane that the Seahawks have clinched a playoff berth and are in first place. It was, it was a good time. It was a good time, and it's rare that you see that much emotion – I don't know, over the outcome of other games, but also we were tracking the Rams game because as soon as the Rams lost, that clinched the playoff spot. You know, it was a great football game, and so everybody would like to be able to see it on a larger screen than a few cell phones that were getting reception at that point in time. But, yeah, that was a fun one. It certainly set the tone for a fun, very long, but fun flight and for what we get to talk about this week, and that is the fact that the Seahawks are 11-3 and and they are hosting the last two games of the regular season. The Cardinals come to town. This is not going to be an easy matchup if you look at history. But you know what? And it hasn't been easy with this team this year because 10 of those 11 wins have been by one score. And it shouldn't have been that close in Carolina. And there's a lot of different reasons as to why. So when people look and they say, well, the Seahawks can't finish, I would argue you need to take a couple of those games out of there when you're dealing with injuries and you're putting rookies on the field. Yeah, I mean, they had at one point, I think, five rookies on the field. Six starters were missing from that defense by the end of the game, including your you know, Hall of Fame middle linebacker Bobby Wagner. So... Look, it's not great to give up the two late touchdowns, but they were playing really conservative defense just to make sure everyone knew what they were doing because they're such a new group together. And they knew they had a pretty big cushion to work with. So it is funny, though. This team, no matter how the game starts, they manage to make it close. There's been games that they're down big early and they come back and win. There's been games they're up early and they've made a little closer than you'd like. But 
The key thing is they keep winning those games, as you mentioned. They're ten and one in one score games. And Bobby Wagner said, you know, that is really the thing that these wins teach you. It's how to win in all different scenarios. And I would challenge you to find another team in the NFL. Well, we already know that no team has won as many one score games as the Seahawks. In fact, that goes back to 1978 when the Houston Oilers did it. But, you know, I would challenge you to find another team in the NFL that is as conditioned to win and truly to overcome any scenario that they are faced with, whether it is missing six starters at the end of the game, whether it's, you know, missing a field goal and having to go to overtime. There isn't a scenario that they haven't seen. Yeah, and, you know, as they'll tell you, part of the thing is, you know, again, you don't love doing this, but it's good for you in the long run when your guys have been through that. And inevitably, if you're a playoff team, you're probably going to have a game where your whole season's on the line, one or two drives at the end of the game. And as Bobby Wagner said, you can't make that bigger than what it is. It's still the same plays. It's still football. And the fact that they've been through all these tense moments, that should help them in the postseason. And I think what also ultimately helps over the course of the years is the mindset. You have a coach and a quarterback who are so alike in the way they see not just football, but life of just, they're so positive and they just always believe that good stuff is going to happen. And there's real power in that in these moments where if that's where the messaging is coming from, that these guys, like you just keep hearing over and over again, people start to buy into that and they believe it and it, it works. It certainly does. We'll talk about what the playoff scenarios look like right now, or at least what it looks like when you have to seed for the playoffs in just a minute. You've mentioned Bobby Wagner a couple of times. He is one of two Pro Bowl starters for the Seahawks, Russell Wilson being the other. They have seven alternates. And I think that that's going to add to the um, kind of chip-on-the-shoulder underdog status of this team right now. Oh, for sure. I mean, you've got a team that is currently the number one seed in the NFC. They've won 11 games, and... You're telling me there's only two pro bowlers on that team, and then you've got other teams with, you know, maybe five, six guys who aren't in as good a spot. So I tweeted this earlier in the week, but if there's really only two pro bowlers on this team, I think Pete Carroll should finally get that Coach of the Year award he deserves. Or we could say Russell Wilson should be MVP of this league or both because I I don't know how you justify all these things of they only have two pro bowlers, but they don't have the best coach or best MVP. Well, and let's put this into a little bit of context and perspective with regard to the team the Seahawks are playing this week. Arizona has two Pro Bowl starters. They're both on defense, and their defense is giving up the most yards per game in the NFL. They've also given up more passing touchdowns than any team in the NFL. And so if that's essentially what you're being compared to, right, you have the same number of Pro Bowl starters, I agree with you completely. But ultimately, let's just hope that nobody's going to the Pro Bowl anyway because they'll be otherwise engaged that week, right? That, that would be the best, long, longest flight ever. Yes, we'll take that one. We will take that one and not complain about it one bit. Well, we could be complaining if Bobby Wagner isn't back on the field this week. As we mentioned, one of six starters that was missing for the Seahawks at the end of that game, I don't know... I don't know what to make of all of the injuries. I know that there's hope for getting a couple of guys back. How are you reading what Pete's saying about these guys? It sounds like almost everybody's going to be kind of that questionable Friday, wait and see how they look Sunday kind of decisions. Bobby Wagner and Pete Carroll both spoken pretty optimistically about his injury. I I would think he'll be available. You know, Quandre Diggs with a high ankle sprain, I who knows, but it's hard. most guys don't come back from those in a week, so I, I would think maybe you go without him this week. But all those guys who miss the game, whether it's uh, Shaquille Griffin, Ziggy, Clowney, all those guys sound like getting Michael Kendricks, all sound like they've got a decent shot. But you also, 
you never want to rest a guy who's ready to play just to rest him, but you do have to look ahead of if a guy has got a hamstring and maybe he could make it out there, but it's really close. Do you take that chance knowing you've got, you know, big week 17 finish coming up and then the playoffs, or do you give him one more week to get all the way healthy? So it's going to be interesting to see how all those decisions shake out. And I know that it's easy to look at the schedule and get caught up in some of the numbers because Arizona only has four wins this year. And so it would be easy to say, well, you're playing at home. You got some home field advantage on that one. Do you really need those guys against Arizona? And I would say Kyler yeah. Murray's looking a lot better. They are coming off their best game of the year. Now, I realize that it was against Cleveland, but Arizona has also won three of the last four games at CenturyLink Field, and they tend to be close games. Five of the six between these teams at CenturyLink have been decided by seven or fewer points. This game actually makes me a little bit more nervous than I think it does for others. Oh, for sure. And, I mean, everything you just mentioned, and then you just look at some of the games they've lost this year. They've been in a lot of games with good teams. They took San Francisco down to the wire twice. There's there's a lot of talent on that roster. You know, again, as you said, the, the defensive numbers haven't been good, but you've got a 15-sack defensive end. I mean, there's there's a lot to worry about on that team, and, you know, as I was saying with the injuries, they're not going to sit a guy who's fully ready to go. That's not the decision you make because they know that you can't take anything lightly. It's more just, are we risking him for the long run if we play him, that kind of thing. Yeah, and so here's what's on the line for the Seahawks. Currently the number one seed in the conference. That's because they win the tiebreakers over Green Bay best on best winning, based on best winning percentage in common games. They also hold the tiebreaker over New Orleans based on best winning percentage in conference games. So what if does this mean? If that's a three-way tie for New if Orleans. If that's a three-way tie. Because if they end up tied with just New Orleans, New Orleans has New Orleans hold the tiebreaker, so yep. If, if, the, if New Orleans and the Seahawks win out, then you need Green Bay, too, also to get, to get the Seahawks through the postseason. If it's just New Orleans and Seattle, Seattle will be the two seed. If it's just Seattle and Green Bay, Seattle's the one seed. So... It's complicated. There's a lot of different scenarios, but the main thing that we know that the Seahawks control their own destiny in terms of winning the division and getting that all important first round buy. So, you know, take care of business and you get two of the three really important things. And then if you can get the help you need and get the number one seed, that'd be even better. We will only be watching the Seahawks on Sunday because that's all we have time to do on game days. But for folks watching at home, the Packers are playing the Vikings this week. The Saints are playing the Titans this week so you'll be keeping a track keeping an eye on those games as the Seahawks are playing the Cardinals now we know what's on the line we know the injuries that the Seahawks are overcoming and we also know that this Cardinals team looks different than the last time we played earlier in the season the personnel looks a lot different here's how Pete Carroll describes it they really have shifted gears you know they were a four wides team you know primarily early on and uh they're just, you know, they're just using all their people, and it's a multiple attack. Um, they're very, very uh, apt to give you new stuff each week and new plays and new, new uh, formations and stuff like that out of their personnel, and so it just makes them uh, more varied. You know, I don't know if it's better or worse, but it's more varied for sure, and it certainly is, is challenges us in preparation. Yeah, and the key there, I think, what P. Carroll said is they're adding stuff every week, and that's where it can always be a little tricky when you're facing a new head coach and a guy who's known for having a really good offensive mind. You know, they've obviously got a, almost a full season worth of tape to look at, but they also know there's going to be some new wrinkles and 
And as you've pointed out, there's, you know, different personnel than what they were shown earlier this year. Well, all five touchdowns that were scored last week against the Browns came from guys who were not on the Cardinals team earlier this year. Now, granted, four of those came from Kenyon Drake, who was acquired in a trade with Miami. He has now played six games with the Cardinals. And boy, does he change the way things look, because you wouldn't have expected that he could unseat David Johnson. Yeah, I mean, David Johnson, a couple of years ago, we're talking about as one of the best backs in the league, but Kenyon Drake has come in and been a really good player for them, has you know a couple hundred-yard games, including last week. He's He's been a real factor in that offense, and it's going to be, you know, it, the Seahawks defense will always tell you it starts with stopping the run, and you got to stop two guys in there. And as we know very well, having watched Russell Wilson over the years, when you have a quarterback who can run, it affects both the running back and the quarterback in terms of it's not just the yards Kyler Murray is going to get. It's the threat of it that opens things up for Drake as well. Yeah, Drake is coming off a game in which he carried the ball 22 times against the Browns. He set career highs in rushing yards and rushing touchdowns in a game. He has already recorded two 100-yard rushing games with Arizona, as we mentioned only six games in, so that certainly changes things. And that means the defense really needs to, for as much as we talk about Larry Fitzgerald being a deep threat for the Cardinals, you really got to stop the run because in Arizona's four wins, they have rushed for 750 yards and 10 rushing touchdowns. It really comes back every week. It seems like we're saying stop the run, and once again, that's a theme. Exactly, and, you know, it's – if you can make them one-dimensional, I, I think that that offense still has some limitations just being a new, young group and still figuring things out. I think Kyler Murray is a great player. I don't mean to, you know, knock him down at all, And but it's just any rookie quarterback, there's that learning curve, and especially if you're on the road, if you can make them one-dimensional, you've got a lot better shot. But if they're, if they're getting that running game going, that dual threat of both those guys, it's going to be real tough. And with the possibility of not playing with a full strength of linebackers, again, you're going to look at that D-line, to set the tone, we saw more of LJ Collier last week than we have in the season, over 50% of the snaps, and he is coming along and showing what the Seahawks thought he could do. He just played tough and, and uh, looked more comfortable, um, played his, you know, his, his gap control assignments and stuff really consistently, didn't have any, any bust to speak of, and um, just looked more comfortable. You know, like he's, he's got enough playing time in him now where he, I think he's feeling like he's, he's comfortable enough to go for it, take his shots at his pass rush opportunities and things like that, as opposed to just hoping he gets by. You know, I think he's over the hump. And, and uh, unfortunately, we didn't get that accomplished earlier. We, we didn't play him as much earlier. We were, depth-wise, we it didn't work out that way. But um, he's coming on. He's doing good. I'll be curious to see, you know, they, they really hope to get more out of Collier the rest of this year, and that would help them a lot. But I'll be curious to also just looking ahead to see what happens next year because I think we've seen the example that I'm thinking of is Rasheem Green right now. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, he was a guy last year, dealt with an injury early in the year, was a great preseason player, and then all of a sudden just sort of disappeared most of the season. Everyone's going, what's up with this guy? He used a third-round pick on him. He's not really doing much. Now he's got four sacks, a couple forced fumbles. He seems to be making plays every week and – you know, I think this is not necessarily the ideal, but what's a pretty common path for a defensive lineman to take. That That's a tough position to just jump right into. We see some guys do it around the league, but more often than not, these guys take a few years to get going. So, again, hopefully Collier pops this week and is a big part of the team through the playoffs, but I, I think Green's a good reminder that it can sometimes take a year or two. Yeah, Rasheem Green's four sacks actually leads the team. Yeah, which, which is, is not odd. what you it's would expect. Not ideal. And he kind of, you know, he was asked about that, like, hey, you know, leading the team in sacks, and he kind of downplayed. He's like, it's not like I have ten. <laughs> you know, it's 
it's a cool thing to lead a team in sacks, and he'd love to get more, but it's a little odd that on a team that's won 11 games, your sack leader has four. Well, yeah, and it's one of those storylines you talk about in training camp. How are you going to replace lost production, right? So Frank Clark last year, that's the one that you're all thinking mm-hmm. of, right? Because you assume that Frank is going to have the same production year over year, right? Frank's only got six sacks this year in Kansas City, not very much more than Rasheem Green. It just, I don't know, it just goes to show that I, I get a little frustrated with those conversations in training camp because you can't predict what people are going to end up doing. And the Seahawks are still getting pressure. Even if the sack totals are down, they are still getting pressure. They're still hitting the quarterback. And they are still coming out firing on the defensive line. So, LJ Collier is there. And here's the other thing I wanted to point out about LJ is he is not the guy that's going to flash like a clown here in Ansa, right? You have to understand that different guys have different personalities and roles on the D-line. He was never that guy in college. He's the guy that's going to grind and do exactly what Pete said. Be gap sound. Be where you are. Take your shot every once in a while. But I kind of just need you to grind it out every single play. So, LJ Collier is on track to do exactly that. Yes? Yes. You're Sorry. giving me this blank I, I, look. I didn't like, know there was a question there. I thought you were just wrapping up your LJ well, Collier just, thoughts. I, you know. A little encouragement that I was on the right track would have been nice. Oh, sorry. Well, you are. That's all right. I agree with I'll everything just you just said, Jed. Perfect. Everything you just I <laughs> I can't add to it because it was so perfect. It's so perfect. That's that's what that look was. I just had nothing to say. Let's flip the conversation around then and go to the Seahawks offense against the Cardinals defense because we already mentioned that there's definitely some opportunities, but in order to have the opportunities downfield, you have got to account for Chandler Jones, 15 sacks and always a handful. Guys, he's just got the, the right makeup. You know, he's really tall and long and he's explosive. Uh, he has uh, he has a great motor for rushing the pass. You know, he has great energy to his pass rush. Uh, and it just that that length just pays off so in so many different ways for him to avoid you know getting getting blocked and um, he's got a real it's really the motor is the part that I like the best about him because he just keeps bringing it so he's very difficult. Fifteen sacks is one and a half off the NFL lead, by the way. In case you were counting. Yeah, it, what's interesting, you know, we've talked about some of the issues the Seahawks have had with pass protection lately. One of the few games this year Chandler Jones doesn't have a sack was week four against Seattle. So, you know, not that you can take for granted that you shut him out last time and you're going to do it again, but they did show, at least in one game, that they were able to somewhat neutralize one of these pass rushers. But, yeah, that guy is a handful. He's just so big and long and athletic. And, you know, as we've seen over and over again in this league, if if you let an elite pass rusher get going, it wrecks your whole offense. Well, and, you know, the offense obviously wants to run the ball with Chris Carson. As we mentioned, though, opportunities downfield. That defense has given up 34 passing touchdowns. That's the most in the NFL, just seven interceptions. So, again, some opportunities downfield. Who's going to be making most of the catches this week, do you think, now that Tyler appears to be back on track? Yeah, I mean, he seems like he's always a safe bet, especially as you said. he They got him going again in that Carolina game. He had that rough month of – Gets that really bad leg contusion, has to spend a couple nights in the hospital, still makes it back the next week, but he's not 100%. And then the flu bug hits the team, and he got hit particularly hard. I think he said he lost 10 pounds, which 10 pounds for Tyler Lockett is a pretty substantial part of his body weight. So he's been, it's been tough for him. And, you know, as we saw, I don't think. His being absent is the only reason the passing game hasn't been as good in recent games, but we saw the first game he's back to being full speed and looking good, 
is the first time in probably a month that Russell Wilson in the passing game has been at his best of that really high efficiency rating, all the touchdowns, the big plays. So it just it makes everything better when he's going good, and I think it creates opportunities for other guys. So, yeah, he's he's been something else, but can't count DK Metcalf out either. He's having a phenomenal rookie year. Yeah, he is. He already has passed Doug Baldwin in a couple of those uh, records for most receptions by a rookie. He's closing in on... He still yards. has, yeah, Joey Galloway has the most rookie receiving yards, and he'd have to have a couple big games. He's almost 200 yards behind Galloway, so you need you need two big games. Doable, but... It is doable. It, yeah, but he's really close to having 900 yards, which would make him and Tyler the only the second pass-catching duo to go over 900 yards. One of them was Galloway and Brian Blades that 1995 season, and the other one was Jimmy Graham and Doug Baldwin in 2016. Look at all those numbers. Thank, thanks you to Seahawks so PR for that. that. That's Seahawks PR See, right there. This is what you do. When somebody just spouts like great information, this is what you do. This is the look that's on your face. This is how you give encouragement. I'll try to be better. Please note this for all next right. week. But look, I'll, bef- I'll work on <laughs> Before I read a couple of quotes, I was prepared to talk about the short quarterbacks because that's been written about this week between Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray. And apparently Kyler Murray is now shattering that stereotype, which is odd to me because Russell's already done that. So instead of revisiting that, here's what I would like to visit. Deion Sanders' comments. Because the Seahawks have the last two games at home. And I thought this was interesting. No players ever walked off the field and said, you know what, that darn crowd made a difference in the outcome. And what I want to say is, maybe your fans didn't, but every single one of our guys do. There has definitely been times that that's been said. I I do believe that a certain Super Bowl losing quarterback said that on a neutral site after he missed his center, missed a check and sent a snap sailing over his head for a safety. So yeah, the fans absolutely make a difference. And I, I guess maybe if fans need a little challenge to get them revved up, great, get fired up, take that as a personal affront and, be extra loud, help the team out these last couple games. Yeah, I, I do think it's a huge advantage when the Seahawks have to get these two wins to have the potential number one seed. It is an advantage, and I don't care what people say. The 12s, it is just different at CenturyLink. I can say that after being in every NFL stadium but one. Yep. So Last time I remember Deion Sanders really m- making Seahawks fans mad, they went to the Super Bowl. So let's – Oh, he, the, the, he, he was part of the whole – pedestrian. Uh, him yeah, and Chris right. Carter were part of that whole – like. Pedestrian receiver. I don't think he said pedestrian. That was Carter. But he was definitely part of that 2013-14 kind of hmm. knocking the case, Seahawks a little bit. I will appreciate him a little we'll bit We'll take more. it. Yeah. And here's what I would appreciate right now. What are the two things you need to see from the Seahawks to make sure they get a win this week? Well, we just talked about Kenyon Drake, and I want to see them keep that running game. Whether it's him or Kyler Murray, keep that running game in check. You know, as I said, make them one-dimensional on the road in a loud stadium, and, and I really like your chances. Other side of the ball, let's keep Chris Carson going. We're st- I'm just going run game the whole way. Keep Chris Carson going. He's had a couple of really good games. He had a 100-yard game against the Cardinals before, I believe. Am I just making that up? I, I had all these great numbers earlier, and now yes. I'm just making stuff up. Anyway, let's see him get going, keep that running game going, win the running battle, and I like their chances. I'm going to go with an the analytics crowd hates me right now. I'm going to go with an unconventional pick. I would like to see Larry Fitzgerald with five or fewer catches. And I really just wanted to say Larry Fitzgerald's name because I think he's phenomenal. Yeah. And I, I just, I like seeing him catch the ball. I just don't want him to do any damage. I've never seen a player like so universally loved by opponents, opposing fans. Like 
Find me someone to say something bad about Larry Fitzgerald. It'll be a first. Yeah, and I you're not going to. So, look, I'd like to see Larry Fitzgerald make a couple of catches in some garbage time, but I'm okay with that. And uh, let's uh, keep Russell Wilson clean this week. Yep. So, no sacks allowed. Let him get the ball downfield. None. And wow. I think the High Hawks standards. will be in good shape. And that is going to do it for another edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you next week.